0: Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small...
1: In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about comfort zone, mental health, and we have part one of our interview with Rosalind Bluestone, MBE, from the charity Goods for Good.
2: Welcome to The Kindness Project, I'm joined by a man that's got a toothache... Yeah, true. And a, and a girl that's wearing a hat that says "Breathe, breathe, and breathe." Wow, that was really enthusiastic. I'm really impressed by that, mate. I'm, a, I'm trying
0: harder. You try. We're all trying. You know what? How about this as a as a starting point for a conversation? I'm, I, as you guys know, I'm a fan of some other podcasts. <laughs> the one that one that I'm. Um, uh, I really enjoy it and the, some of it's great and then some of it's a bit celebrity-fied is a podcast called Dory of the CEO yeah. um, uh, uh, hosted by a guy called Stephen Bartlett I've listened to that for some time now and I listened to an episode yesterday from a guy who's written this book about doing hard stuff right now, <laughs> that sounds a bit weird, but it just does hard stuff. <laughs>
2: you
0: know what he does, Charlotte? Hard stuff. Uh, number one, Charlotte's voice has gone down by a couple of octaves. Um, and thank you, Ross, he does hard stuff. And i tell you, I tell you what was interesting about the episode. His perspective based on the research he'd done, and he's a psychologist and a, and a journalist, um, based on his perspective, is actually... And, and again, we, we had this conversation a bit just before we start recording the podcast. Um, life isn't always meant to be easy, is it, right? You know, sometimes we've got to go through these... because, And I look at people in my life... The ones that often take the easiest route
2: actually
0: don't have the best long-term success. And what this guy argues, and I think he's got a pretty fair point, is sometimes doing the hard stuff feels hard in the short term, but in the long term is actually the right thing to do. So one example might be... um, Exercise, exercise might be one thing. I, I'm I'm going to go to uh, the gym today. I'm going to run around. I'm going to, um, and uh, you know what? The, I, I I'd be lying to say that my gym wasn't loads of fun because I'm literally the only bloke in front of thirty women, which is always a always a bit weird. Um, but um, I'm going to I'm going to go along, uh, and it's going to be physically quite demanding, right? I, I, I want to make sure that that is the case. And that's not fun. That's not the easy thing to do, is it? But I know that actually, longer term, I'm going to be more to have more energy, have more health and stuff like that because of doing that. Um, but also, I suppose, the, and, and the, the thing that kicked this off was I was having a conversation just before we recorded the podcast about... Um, Uh, it's not, sometimes it's not easy to empathise with other people. The easy thing to do is to get on the outrage train, isn't it? The easy thing to do is blame. The easy thing to do is do all the things, basically do everything everybody's doing on Twitter um, or X or whatever it's called now. So what do we think about the principle of life is meant
2: to be a bit hard? I don't mind complicated. <laughs> I find, uh, but this and this is the other
0: point I want to raise. for I want to, I want to have a really interesting conversation with both of you about this. Complicated might be hard for somebody else. Like technically complex might be hard for somebody else. It's
2: technical, it's good. Um, I sit in the technical box. Don't I? I love a bit of technic- th- technical. I th- I th- yeah, but that's your comfort zone, isn't it? Yeah, Whereas I have a problem. I'll spend day and night trying to solve it. But so this, this is the interesting thing because there's a kind
0: of saying you should spend most of the time doing what you're good at, um, and when when you get in the flow state. So, what do you think, Charlotte?
3: I I like doing just. I like being in my comfort zone. I'm a bit like like I I think I'm on the similar lines with Russ of like I have a little I have a little box or maybe everyone is just a series of overlapping little boxes that are just all of their like the more you do the more comfortable you get with stuff, right? So like to truly step out of your comfort zone you'd have to constantly be doing new stuff. Which isn't easy because as much as the world is a big and vast place, there's only so much one person can do.
0: Yeah, but I I, I am a firm believer in continuing to push those like if your box is little, if your box is is just the stuff you're comfortable with, and you never you never push that out, you'll never you're never expanding your view of the world just sitting in your box you're never experiencing new things and therefore like you're you like there might be start like i'll give you a perfect example i went white water rafting two weeks ago didn't yeah. know whether i was going to enjoy it it certainly sat outside my wife Cassie's box because she she I, 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 I don't know if i should be talking about my wife's box but um with my wife cassie's box <laughs> Um, but she did it and loved it. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: so do we need to think about that? Instead of just turning around and going, oh, I don't... I mean, Roz, you're a perfect example.
2: You're doing stuff at the minute that's way outside your box. I must. I'm struggling with that, though. I'm, I'm struggling am your I? idea with that. But, but this
0: is the interesting thing, isn't it? The interesting thing
2: is, why don't you do it then? Why not just sit in a box? See, this is like I said to you about holidays and that sort of stuff. If I don't get it done straight away, then i talk myself out of that. I'll, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll think about all the things that can go wrong in other countries or go wrong in the UK if I'm holidaying in the UK. And I'll... I'll I know myself, I'll talk myself out of it. But yeah, once but it's, it's put once it's put, like you said the other day, once we booked the Italy trip we we're going on, mm-hmm. I then de- I then start to get excited, I start to research it, I start yeah. to understand what what that sort of culture's like and so yeah. But this
0: is the interesting thing, isn't it? Like the, the 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 chimp side of our brain goes, stay safe, stay protected.
2: You know, sort of See like that, that, use that that energy. That. All That's of that in exactly my default. And thinking outside of that default is a lot more difficult than it sounds.
0: And it and it is. And you know what's interesting? So this the this. um Guy was talking about the fact that um, uh, the world has moved a lot quicker than our brains have evolved. Yeah. So our brains, our brains have evolved um, at a pace. You know, the, the, you know our brains evolve over millions of years. And a hundred years ago, the internet didn't exist. We all listened to the radio, and you know, it's just like the pace of change has been a lot quicker than our. It took our brains. To catch up, but we need to continue doing the difficult stuff. Now, interestingly, I talk about this. I still find it really hard. The bit that I find the bit that I find, I'm finding really hard at the minute. Maybe you guys, as uh, cold weather lovers, can uh, cold weather lovers is that a phrase? I'm not sure it is now. Um, can they help me understand is feeling comfortable with being cold, so. Okay. I'm all right with the exercise stuff. I'm all right with the like expanding your sort of, but I wanted I wanted to understand a bit more about like like
2: getting comfortable with cold. What's, See, what's, uh, for me, cold weather is fresh air. Yeah, yeah, it's much fresher. When when you breathe the air, it's much fresher. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 So, right, let's talk about the stuff that. Uh, we're doing to come out a little bit of our boxes what are we doing
2: so Raz, what are you doing well uh, I've put uh, a couple of holidays as you know
0: yeah
2: i'm uh i'm back on the exercise Ralph. how's that going yeah it's, uh, staying focused is difficult but yeah. but uh I'm, I'm finding it's helping I'm also uh, working on on myself at the same time. So I'm having some counselling. I won't go into the ins and outs but I'm having some counselling to try and try and resolve some unresolved issues. So Yeah.
0: Uh, you know what? I think I think and again, you know, if you would have had a conversation with two Forty-year-old blokes fifty years ago, um, counselling just wouldn't have been on the cards. But we, there, there are there has been positive. Like talking about these these sort of these sort of stuff um, may not feel entirely comfortable, but it's probably a, a positive change in the world, right? What well, do you think?
3: What do I think about the positive change in the world, or what? Do, what do I think of the things that I'm stepping out of my box in at the moment?
0: What question would
3: you like to answer first? Oh cracky, okay. Uh I do I do think it's a positive change. I think a lot of the stuff when you look at like how mental health is handled I won't say back in the day, but like less than a hundred years ago. Um sort of thing, you sort of go, God, I'm glad we moved forward from that. Um and like there's loads of I think there's loads of like negativity online from like people who, for some reason, prefer to stay in that sort of. I don't it, want to say dark ages because that makes it sound mean to the. But, but you know,
0: you know why I think there's a lot of negative negativity online. Because it's
3: easy. It's easy to I...
0: jump online and, and and give your opinion and be offensive and be unkind and be cruel. The the bit that well, means coming um, out of the box is actually stepping on stepping over that line and understanding somebody's point of view and nuance and.
3: There is a point between the stepping out of your box and understanding someone and the raging on the internet, and it's just not engaging. It's just right down the middle, um, like. Yeah,
0: yeah and 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 to, I, to, I to be honest, I think. I think I, I mean I, I've made a real conscious decision to I mean one one um, non conscious decision where, I, for some bizarre reason got banned from Facebook um, for, for for no fault of my own I don't think um, and then and then I actually a more con- conscious decision more recently to just come off Twitter just catch my account, not using it anymore, and I had, I, I had like four thousand connections on Twitter or four thousand followers on Twitter, so I had, a, I had a bit of an audience and like sort of. But actually, I think my life is better from because I've not got that because I I found myself jacking it and actually getting angry about stuff that doesn't really matter. So I think there's a. There's an element of self protection in terms of choosing not to engage.
3: Yeah. But um, I think
0: that choosing to consume, you've got to be careful about because then we're getting these um, opinions um, that, um, that actually don't matter. Um, but, but but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose there's that. But the hard thing to do is to appreciate that yeah. we're all different. There's everything's nuanced. We're all looking at the world from our own unique perspectives, and this perspective of "you're right, I'm wrong." This perspective of "win lose" is probably where our brains go because that's the chip brain, isn't it? You know that where the world is a lot more complicated, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, going back to sort of what I was originally saying, like, (laughs) the idea of these people not wanting to move forward is sort of a... I sort of think in my opinion it's sort of a a part of that of sort of being stuck in that brain of no we're the way we have it works and we're not going to accept new things that could yeah. affect us in any way but i think there have been a lot of positive changes in in recent years as much as like you know we can see the negative negativity that happens in the world a lot of developments can be really positive like uh you know, counseling, therapies, stuff like that. Um and there's also a lot of like I think we've seen a, a change in the internet as well in some ways of like as much as there is that negative side, there's also people trying to cultivate a sort of environment of positivity even over the negativity that's happening. Yeah. Um, so like yeah.
0: Yeah. And how about how about I, I suppose there's two elements to that i suppose the the, the reality is that all pro, all human progress comes from people not standing in their boxes and um and you know pushing the boundaries of technology and science and human development and all of that sort of stuff everything comes from the hard stuff doesn't it
3: yeah
0: redevelopment comes from the hard stuff
3: yeah i feel like so we were talking about uh, games earlier. I think that might have been before the call, uh, before the recording. Um, and one of my favourite like genres of games is fun game, hidden message. Yes. Um, so, like, oh, what am I playing at the moment? I don't know if I've recommended this to you, but there's a game called Spiritfarer. Uh, And it's a really beautiful game about sort of the nature of grief and sort of coming to terms with death and and it happens to everyone. And it's just really like cute and beautiful game. Um, And all of this message is hidden under the guise of you're a ship captain who's going around picking up passengers and you lead them on to the afterlife. And it's just this really beautiful game, and like I have cried playing it multiple times, because uh, once you like see past the cute stuff and get to the actual message, the, it's just like so beautifully executed. What's it's amazing. Hard. It is hard. Like just coming to terms with sort of grief and like as much as as much as it's a game it is sort of still saying very real things about the nature of life and sort of like one of the, one of the characters sort of says this thing about like, actually as much as I'm going to be gone, we had a great time while I was here and sort of like, that's more important than the fact that, that you're sad now is we had a great time.
2: Yeah. 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 It's just
3: like, I, I love stuff that's just like unexpectedly got some really deep themes and messages in it yeah but but
0: i mean i suppose i suppose so help us understand what you're doing to expand your
3: oh what? me personally uh i i feel like when i'm expanding my box i'm more sort of shuffling it out um no
0: hold on hold on we we're, we're all shuffling it out we're no nobody... yeah. Nobody jumps out of their box. I mean, Russ, please don't well, do I'll this be. next time. You might scare me. I mean, I've just got this image of Russ I'm just sitting in a cardboard box. It's when we all walk in, um, but uh, I think we're all just slowly pushing our boxes out. Aren't yeah. We?
3: So, like, like you have your little starter domain where you sort of begin and you sort of shuffle, shuffle out. I uh, have signed myself up to. I signed both of us up, actually, and we didn't get to do it, but I've signed myself up for another one, uh, to do an open mic up here uh, yeah. in Glasgow, uh, which I haven't done since I was 15, 16 years old.
2: It's been a
0: while. It's been a while. Uh,
3: yeah. and I remember being like scared out of my mind when I first did it. Um, and like still the idea of doing it, I'm still terrified, but I'm going to go and do it. Uh, What else, what else, what else? Uh, It didn't happen last summer, but I might do it this summer. Planning my first solo trip. Because I've literally never been away on my own. Like it's always been with school, with family, with friends. So, you know, planning my first sort of solo trip. I'm not going to go far because if anything happens, the idea of that scares me. So I'll just go to like, I'm thinking Cardiff could be fun. You know.
0: Yeah.
3: Just like little little yeah. things to push me to um I've we've spoken about it before, uh and I'm still kind of terrified of putting it out in the world, but I'm working on my first poetry collection. Uh just
2: Yeah.
3: I've sort of gotta to come to the come to the reality of it doesn't then... matter if people read it, it's just gotta be out there.
2: Well, I but it,
0: it's just that push of the... It's the box, isn't it? It's just expanding that world view so that you're in a position. And I'm proud of both of you for both doing the hard stuff and um, expanding, expanding that box. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do um, a... Uh, Uh, kindness news so would you like to do Charlotte the jingle
3: yes hold on kindness news
0: and I'm going to do um, uh, uh, an article about generosity care and kindness reminding us to hold on to hope in the wake of tragedy with students, faculty, and staff sitting shoulder to shoulder late Wednesday afternoon in Gomez Chapel, President Gary Jenkins reminded the Bates community of the capacity for human acts to help live the darkness in the wake of the October 25th sh- shootings in Lewiston that resulted in the deaths of 18 people. This might be a bit controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know who needs to get out of their box? um American politicians are, are around making better gun legislation. Is that controversial? I don't know. Um the the Virgil for grief and remembrance presented by the college's multi faith chaplaincy was held on November the first, one week after the Lew- Lewiston shootings. Many Bates students had attended a large vigil three days before in downstown Lewiston and the Basilica of Saints, Peter and Paul. The mood in the chapel was sombre, a few held hands, some in their audience dabbed their eyes. But um, Reverend Brittany Longsdorf said, let us be a loving community and carry all the things we are be- feeling and sifting through together. People have gathered, gathered to grieve for centuries because it's vital in the healing process, Longsdorf said. She said that the simple human act of coming together binds us and also, freezes of the guilt that can follow a uh, a horrific tragedy. Grieving together is essential to come out of this hard moment. That's why societies have done things like this vigil for years. I, th- I think, listen, like you were talking about grief earlier, Oshala. I think it mm-hmm. is actually important for people to grieve together and support each other what do you
2: think
3: i i think like as much as each person's journey with grief is a personal experience it's never hurt or hindered by having someone there to support
0: yeah i i agree i think i think supporting people when they're going through <laughs> a grieving process is is really important what do you think maz
2: yeah i agree mm. good
0: right next um uh, thing, and I've seen this actually in, in our local area, but um, newly formed groups spread cheer around South Pole with random acts of crochet kindness. I like the idea of crochet kindness. Um, uh, yarn bombing is big yarn bombing is beginning to explode in locations across south pole in a series of random acts of crochet kindness local residents have loved waking up to crochet post-box toppers in areas such as crossing and banks it happens around
2: here people Uh, it happens happens all over Yeah. yeah as well um does it happen in the one post box in your village runs or not? We haven't got post boats now, it's in the walls. you know They're the post box. How can you crochet a wall? I mean, come but on, they've walls. Thought- they've not
0: thought about the Norfolk crochet. I think they could
2: graffiti crochet, couldn't I? Could uh, graffiti could crochet uh, be. Uh, uh, the the um, Southport group is called um, oh Charlotte uh,
0: Sophie's coming up. Way? Sophie's come along and she wants to say something about crochet. Yes,
3: yeah, you know them sticky hooks. Yeah, the sticky hooks on the one old box, box village wall.
0: Right. Yeah, sticky hooks. What's a sticky hook?
3: Basically, it's a hook. You stick it on a wall because it's sticky.
0: Right. And then they could hook the. Well, Sophie is, our, Sophie is our resident crochet expert, and apparently you can crochet on walls. Using so sticky
3: hooks. I've stuff. learned
0: something new today. Have my box has expanded with my crochet knowledge. I yeah. now know there's sticky hooks that mean that you can crochet animals. It's just a normal sticky sort hook. Of oh,
2: it's
0: just normal. And you just get a bit. Of- it's, it, in the, in in the crochet world, it's standard apparently sticky hooks. Um, but the um, uh, um Crochet Society are called the Southpool Hookers. And members meet every Sunday at the secret location in Southpool with new people invited to get involved. All they need is bags of enthusiasm, bags of knitting, and a desire to carry out random acts of kindness across the community. A Southpool Hookers spokesperson said, we are so excited that our, our first ever post toppers are now out in banks and groves. Have you seen them yet? If you would like to topper for a local postbox and can help with the making of it, please let us know. We are amazed by the overwhelming support we've received regarding the postbox toppers, which have just encouraged us to keep on going. We've received a message asking if we could do a postbox topper outside a care home in Southport. Um, and although we're really busy working on Christmas, we couldn't say no, so I've managed yeah. to squeeze this one in. All of our members are working really hard to bring a bit of cheer to the post box, which will hopefully be ready soon. Um, I love that. I like you know what? It's such a tiny gesture. Actually, it takes quite hard doing those um post box stuff. Yeah. Um actually, it does brighten up. But it's brightened up my day as I've been walking along and thought, mm, that's quite creative.
3: It brightens up like an entire neighbourhood, really. Because mm. think of how many people have got to walk through those neighbourhoods to get to wherever they're going. And they walk past a cheery little post box that was quite dreary before. And it's got like a nice little decoration. Or in Rice's
0: case, an entire wall. Ras, you should be a hooker.
3: Yeah. You
2: become a hooker. I you yeah, you could start the, the, the Nets and hookers. No, no, no. You could be <laughs> hooker number one. Oh, well, and oh. you can recruit some more hookers. for the I'm doing any hooking today. Uh, I'll, that's, I'll,
3: a, that's a step further from cooking topless of Russ, isn't it? But, you,
2: uh, but hold on, right, <laughs> you said you needed to get out your box more, Russ. You, you needed to get out your box more, become a hooker. I'm definitely really not becoming a hooker. <laughs> we we will send you a crochet hook and your hooking journey could start right now how about that i should put down my lending profile shouldn't i what why am the founder of the necks and hookers
0: on that note let's move on to the interview uh, we've got part one of Rosalind bluestone um, what did we
2: think of the... Because we did that interview Friday, didn't we? Yeah, what did we think of Roslyn's story? I find that quite interesting. I think a lot, oddly enough, about starting a ceremony and... and then that work and... understanding a bit more about... how people do it. Yeah. through all the interviews, not just... Not just particularly this one. It's been interesting.
0: But, but I think the interesting thing is a lot of charities start like Roslyn's. Out uh, of nothing, yeah. Out of nothing. It's like any... Well,
3: out of an idea.
0: Yeah. Well, no, yeah. you're right. You're right. Out, out of an idea and a desire to help um, is 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 all is all you need. And actually, you think about that. That's all you need in a... Any anything it's set up, isn't it? Uh, a, a desire to help and, a, and an idea. Um, so so um, I really enjoyed the conversation with Rosalind, so let's listen to part one.
3: Hello, Rosalind. Thank you for joining us for this interview. Uh, how are you doing today, just to start with?
1: Yeah hi there Charlotte and um, and family and team so it's great to sort of talk to. I always get inspired by sort of like small focused sort of family or sort of uh, small groups doing good in the world so it excites me. Um, yeah I'm fine, uh, very busy at the moment. Uh, we're a humanitarian aid charity and um, there you know there is a, a huge need for our help Um, and I hope to have a, um, an opportunity to explain to you exactly how we help and how we make it work because we are a tiny charity you know with sort of less than five people uh, basically uh, running this and um I'm looking forward to explain to you how it, how we may have how we have to make it work sort of with one arm time behind our backs just um due to sort of. Of lack, lack of um capacity and also lack of income uh to write because you, you know it's like a business you know with any business the charity world is the same you you need uh funds you need money to make it all work
0: and i'd imagine sorry i, I said i wouldn't jump in and i've jumped in straight away, haven't i
3: apologies
0: ahead, ahead. um and i'd imagine part of what you do there's a there's a huge logistical element isn't there because you act as that sort of intermediary between you know the goods coming in and you dis- so how do you run that how do no actually let's talk about charlotte do you want to ask the first couple of questions and i'm gonna i'm gonna freeze that for the minute
3: right so Rosalind, why don't we begin with you just tell us a bit about yourself and all all of the all of the great things that that entails Okay.
1: well, um, I don't know about the great bit, but but, um, I I actually fell into the charity uh, world by accident. I I was brought up in northwest London. I came from a a sort of I had a deprived uh, childhood and my three sisters uh and I have a brother as well we were sort of i guess you would say child carers my mum was very unwell all of her life so we were sort of part of uh, of the team um and you know so helped a lot at home and uh, i grew up during the 60s i didn't have money for the clothes that you needed you know that a young uh, teenager needed during the 60s so um Basically, I sort of started working part time from a very young age um, and sort of like uh, when I say working, I went to school. Obviously, I went to comprehensive school and I did my OLEV, my G what well, the O levels then it was, um, and I did a secretarial course. But um, I always had a summer job, and I always worked on Saturdays, and um, and that's what you did. I sort of babysat and anything just to earn money so I could buy the clothes that I wanted during the swinging sixties and the sh- and the shoes because my parents couldn't afford it. So I grew up, uh, and also as a younger child, we grew up um with black bags being left outside our front door um because my parents um you know when we were younger they didn't have money to buy clothes for us i think we got sort of two new dresses a year and um otherwise it was the neighbors used to leave these black sacks on the on the doorstep for us so you know we were a family in need in 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 quite a, a nice area just so happened that my grandmother had given my my parents a deposit for a house but they didn't actually have enough money to pay the mortgage and the bills and to feed us so that's how we that's how i grew up so Saying that, I was also a volunteer uh, at school, so I I uh, worked, was interested in volunteering, and I actually went to school in Camden Town, um, and worked with uh, um, used to I used to work for Camden Council for task force, and we used to go out at lunchtime and visit the old age pensioners and do their shopping for them, um, sometimes took them to the pub, um, you know, like with the dog, um, and. Yeah managed to get a lemonade while we were there um so yeah that that's a little bit about my background I did my GCSEs I started working
0: I've got one question I'm really curious about and then one that's um just uh, I'm curious about which is a tiny bit more flippant number one how did your upbringing um inform your worldview? that's part one and then part two what was your favorite item of clothing you had in the 60s personally
1: um so how did our my upbringing influence influence i mean although we had no money my my um we were brought up, so you have to be kind to everybody. You know, my parents were very um, charitable and as well as receiving charity. You know, at the end, two or three times a year, we used to do a massive clear out. And my mum used to sort of ring up some charity and a big lorry used to come and pick up all the clothes. So, you know, we were very, very charitable and taught to be kind to others and polite My mum was very correct. My dad used to work six and a half days a week, but he was working in retail. So, yeah, so it did did impact and it was only later. I mean, we had a very happy childhood uh, despite, and we weren't really aware of the sort of poverty, um, really, not until sort of later years. And I I guess that, um, you know, I guess that sort of moulded me into who I am today. You know, it didn't have any detrimental effect on me.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing is you never realise it at the time as well, right? Because you, yeah. you've got what you've got.
1: Exactly. And, and we we were very happy. We had, we lucky that we had very loving parents. Um, my dad wasn't around much because he was working most of the time. And he worked in retail. He worked yeah. in a shop. He wasn't an educated man. My mother was an educated woman. Uh, so we were a little bit of a mismatch, but a loving family. So I was very okay. happy with that. So, uh, yes, we were brought up with kindness. What was the other part of the question? Sorry. Well,
0: being being brought, uh, being like sort of a teenager in the fashionable 60s and near Camden as well, and being being near Camden, what was your big fashion thing in the 60s? What did you love to wear? <laughs>
1: Well, um, yeah, just everything that all the girls were wearing then. It was like um, mini mini skirts, mini kilts, nice coats. Yeah. I, I did have um, always had a bit of a shoe fetish, loved shoes, you know, and boots. And um, yeah, I mean, all those things were expensive uh, at the time. And Camden, I have to tell you. Was was a horrible area there. There was no right. market. I mean, we we lived. Uh, the school was um, not near to the tube. It was a sort of a, a bus ride, a bus ride away. You could walk. It was about twenty five minutes walk if you were early enough. Uh, it, you know, some kids used to walk to school, but um, it wasn't really a trendy area in those days. It right. was. It was actually sort of quite a drunk area. You know, during that time, there were a lot of um, yeah. sort of, yeah, a lot of. It was quite frightening, actually, especially in the <laughs> winter. You know, it was quite a, a scary area, like the yeah. like Hackney and the East End used to be years ago. It was not trendy area at all. Well, that,
0: I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, there's big. I mean, we we're, we're all from well, Charlotte's not because she she's been brought up on the on the East, East London borders in a bit more of an affluent area. But Raz and I are originally from. uh a part of East London that's now considered really gentrified and trendy and and moving in that direction, but when we were being brought up in the early '80s, it just wasn't. You know, it was just a different place. And I think people people miss that, don't they? Because they assume that an area has always been what it's been. But over the past 50 years, like particularly big swathes of London have changed, right?
1: Is exactly my my cousin lived in the East End of London, and the uh, place that she lived was opposite a bomb site, which is where we used to play. Because even in the even in the sixties they hadn't rebuilt london and uh the east end of london was a target you know a targeted area during the second world war and we used to play and i didn't really know till i was older what a site meant it was just one word site. you know what, what what does that mean i didn't actually
0: have any context uh, for it yeah. yeah
1: my parents didn't talk about the war uh much that people wanted to to, to forget about yeah. it
0: yeah, um, yeah, and
1: they didn't really talk about it, and it was only, it was only when I was about twelve or thirteen that they spoke about the Holocaust, or they spoke about you know, the 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 uh, you know the bombing, London bombings, and you know the whole the whole. Issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. so so you tell me, tell us about the teenage years. Tell us a little bit about sort of your world of work when, when you were working. What what was that like?
1: So I I um I am um. I am a mother of three, and I started my family very young. I w- got married when I was 19. I uh, had my first uh, son when I was 21. But saying that, um, I've always been a working mother. I had to go to work when I, when he was five months old because um, my ex-husband was studying. Um, he was um, an article clerk, and so, you know, his salary wasn't enough to live on. So i had to go back to work quite early and um, so i've always worked I, ha- I did a secretarial course at school i didn't i didn't do a levels so i didn't go to university uh, i did a commercial course at school uh, which was very useful because it meant that when i was sort of 17 and a half i was able to uh, get a secretarial job uh, and i've always uh, i've always worked all of my life I, apart from sort of pregnancies and a little bit after I've always um I mean I've worked through my pregnancies but uh, when my children were were young and I used to have three three sons so and each one is four and a half years between them so I used to be running to in all different directions with them um you know so it what it wasn't wasn't easy but I I liked it I thrived on it and um yeah.
0: And, and I imagine it goes back to that, and we start talking about it at the start, right? You know, you get to a point. And I've been thinking about this it, quite a lot. You get to a point where you go, "I'm not ready to stop anything. I'm ready to actually do more good in the world." I've done the, I've done the mum bit, I've done the working bit, but how do I now just empower others to do great work? Charlotte, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm, I'm going to up now and let you uh, ask the important questions.
3: You're <laughs> good. Don't worry about it. I mean, sort of bouncing off that, actually, you said like you you've worked most of your life. What made you start Goods for Goods?
1: Yes. Okay. Um, well, I fell into the charity world in 2002 by accident. I saw a job that uh, was... um, Requiring somebody with export experience and I'd worked in export um, and also with community experience and I'd sort of worked within um, the community, one of my jobs so. so I fell into the charity world, and it was a huge eye opener. The job uh, entailed was for a London-based international charity, and it involved um, shipping humanitarian aid to Eastern Europe and former Soviet Union countries. So suddenly, the fo- my focus was on poverty, abject poverty, and delivering a sort of a lifeline of aid to those people um and my whole world changed my whole world changed because um i saw poverty like i'd never seen it before especially in ukraine and going back now sort of 2002 3 you know the early 2000s um and i got to visit these places that otherwise i would never had had uh, had the opportunity to see working with um um charity partners over there where there was um a need for basic goods like clothing coats shoes um toiletries nappies ladies sanitary towels all the things that we take for granted here and they just weren't there with these communities so this was life-changing for me and Put my whole world into a new crystal clear perspective that how lucky am I? How lucky are we? Um, And so roll forward to 2013. I worked in the charity uh, almost 12 years um, and uh, I was made redundant because the charity I worked for stopped that program. So it was basically shipping. It was collating all the goods getting goods from british industry mobilizing the community to provide a this sort of lifeline of goods um and um i was made redundant from that job and i was it was just before my 60th birthday so that was a milestone or obviously you come to you you were talking Chris about age and you start to, to have thoughts well when that hits you and you're sort of nearly 16 you think well what am i going to do next you know i wanted i needed to to earn and have an income and yep. i wanted to keep working um and um you know i had to take a step back and i was very very determined to find a way to continue this work yeah and I, Literally, sort of sat at my at home in my dining at my dining room table, and um, I was very lucky because, you know, it's almost like might sound extreme, but it's almost like divine intervention because I met, um, I knew somebody from the Dutch uh, charity with whom I'd worked in the previous charity, and basically. With his help and encouragement, um, he said, come on, let's do it. As the famous slogan says, let's do it together. You know, I'll help you. I've got a warehouse. We can continue to send goods together to these communities. Yeah. And um, so I thought, OK, um, I still didn't have the confidence to do that because I had to see whether these big companies that I'd made contact with um, you know whether they, the support you. Yeah. with they just little old me yeah so okay so my first, my next step then was to check with um my my previous uh, colleagues people in in positions where i knew that they knew what they were talking about and i went to uh i spoke to a few people i said what do you think if i were to continue this with max's help and they said go for it it's a great yeah. program, it's a great project, you know. Yeah, you know, do it and whatever help you need will give you that help, will give you advice.
0: And was that primarily... I I'm curious about two elements, Um Was that primarily at the time to... Because I know the remit of where you deliver goods is expanded now, right? So it was that at the time primarily to Eastern Europe still um and what what what's the remit of goods does it include clothes does it is it books what 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 do you include when you think about goods what um and 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 are there things that you won't ship out to places that need it help me understand a bit about that
1: yeah so initially it was to the countries where we've been working because when we when I had, when I was in my previous position, we had to inform them that we couldn't deliver goods anymore. Obviously, they were notified that the program was stopping and the charity was going to divert the funds to another, a different program. So the warehouse was closing and they all said, oh, my God, like, what are we going to do now? You know what are we going to do for nappies? What are we going to do for shoes? You know, we can't afford coats for the kids to go to school. It's
0: heartbreaking as well, isn't it? Yes. You know, it's just, yes.
1: So that that was a driver. Also, another driver for me was my volunteers. I had a lot of volunteers that I'd recruited, so the charity that I was working with recruited for for the program I was running, and they were saying, "Oh gosh, we're redundant too. Like, what are we going to do?" You know, and these are people that are retired or people like you thinking of giving back, you know. So what are we going to do? You know, you're going to start up something yourself. Like when are you when you you, what are you going to do? So and they were literally. The pressure was on, right? You know, you had to do it. (laughs) Yeah, So that that was obviously a a big driver for me. And also the other driver uh, for me was the um, war in Syria. And seeing those pictures on my TV, as we all did in, back in 2013, um, and seeing people on the move, carrying their children with babies, you know, walking, you know, just walking for miles, people in refugee camps and the t- shocking stories, I, I couldn't sleep at night. So I was very determined to get something done. And when the Dutch charity said they could help um, my first step I had to find a warehouse and I had I had no money you know so obviously warehouse logistics like you said earlier all these things cost money and I probably worked for um almost sort of six to eight months from my dining room table to set everything up to put to get everything in motion and one of the first things I did was to Ring around it took me a week to ring around. So speaking to everyone I knew, saying this is what I think I'm doing. You know, do you know anyone with a warehouse that would give me some free space because we haven't yeah. any. um Obviously, the Dutch charity were very helpful. Asked me for a business pr- plan. So you know, because things, even though you're running a charity and you're setting things up, everything has to be done professionally. So yeah. I, was, I was very lucky that I met the right people at the right time that gave me. The help, and it's been a really interesting learning curve of you know, fantastic journey. Um, and and also, you know, my at the beginning, my age th- wasn't sort of like a big thing, but as 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 I sort of got going, I thought, oh gosh, like I'm six, I'm 60 now, you know, and I'm just starting a new career, you know. and what experience have I got running a charity? I mean, I've worked at manage, at a management level in charity, but to run a charity and I had to make sure that I had the right tools. And um, I was very lucky to, I've got a business mentor who I had approached and he introduced me to a forum of charity CEOs, which I'm a member of. And I got, to this day, I have, um, I have monthly sessions with them, with a group. Yeah. And I get a lot of mentoring one-to-one. Yeah.
0: What did you what did you learn? What did you learn about yourself through the journey of setting up and running the charity? And what was your big win? What was what was the first initial time you thought, you know what, this is like it it's like you know, at the start when you set anything up, you go through that period of insecurity, don't you? Because you go like, can I do this? What was the first step where you thought, you know, what this is actually going all right?
1: Yeah, interesting, interesting qu- question. And I'm looking down here, and I didn't answer the last part of your question when you asked what what sort of things we sent, But I'll come back to that. But about myself, I, I, I I've always been stubborn. Um, <laughs> my, <late laughs> mum and my 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 sisters have always said you you're really stubborn, um, and I think that really helped me because I was very determined. I was very, very determined to make it work. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was wonderful to see, you know, to be able to send out the first truck full of aid you know yeah. to so when that
0: arrived it was like yeah, okay here we go
1: again yeah. you know with the working with the Dutch charity uh, yeah so you know when we had got the first yeah so um what did I learn I, I learned that I was very determined um I had a lot of support also from my family from my son grown-up sons and also from my husband who was um I guess uh he, he was inspired by my determination and he was a very encouraging and you know, um because I put in huge, very, very long crazy hours into all of this it wasn't a part time job in any way at all um, because I was doing things on my own And, and you know we didn't have a place to work from because as well as so I'll come now to the things that so we don't we don't send books and we don't send food but we do send basic things like hats and coats you know gloves footwear um and uh clothing underwear uh sanitary hygiene toiletries all that sort of thing nappies
0: and that it's an inter- that that hydri- hygiene element one is an interesting one isn't it because we spoke to we showcased a charity and Raz will be able to tell me but uh we showcased a charity about 18 months ago on the Kindness project called the hygiene bank and they 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 effectively distrib- distribute hygiene products in the uk and it's one is as you say it's one of the things that we take for granted if you're doing okay in the uk that you just go out and get sanitary pro- products or hygiene products but there's people in the world who just haven't, haven't got access to that right
1: no absolutely and um you know if you think you haven't got nappies for your yeah for your children you know what is the alternative or if you're elderly and you don't have incontinence pads you know what is the alternative you know if you're bedridden you know it's it's um and sort of having having seen this in eastern europe with my own eyes you know so i made a lot of home visits and visited for example i visited a mother with twin babies and I, i had you know clothes from mother care and i had a uh, sort of nappies and um babies were so cute and they were that the, the, this was in moldova actually and the you know the bed was it was um sopping wet with urine with children you know where she changed it, it was it was terrible the circumstances were, were, were terrible and um i asked if i could help dress the bait these two little uh girls um, so she had one, I had the other, uh, and I said, "Look, here's the nappies," and she said, "Oh no, no, no! Don't, don't put the nappies on, not at home." And I said, "Yeah, but okay. So what, what are you using then?" And she had a pile of paper and string, and you know, then that explained the terrible smell as well, the odor, uh, and it was, you know, she was very. Um, humbled and embarrassed, but she did. She only wanted to use the nappies for gut when she took them out.
0: out, yeah,
1: and Charlotte. She would manage.
0: Yeah, so that was part one of um, Rosalind's story. We've got part two next week. That I'm really such, <laughs> yeah. Charlotte, what I'm conscious of is you've got
3: so I'm way ahead of you. Oh, I've already got. Several jokes picked out about
2: boxes. Yeah, so weird. Box jokes.
0: So, tis the end of another podcast, but the, end, the end is the end. Um, uh, and now it's time for Joke of the
3: Week. Right. What are, what are jokes? Uh, what are most jokes and cardboard boxes have in common?
0: Don't know in most jokes and cardboard boxes have in common.
3: They're very often recycled.
0: <laughs>
3: I've got and more.
0: <laughs> and that joke sounds like it's been recycled. On that note, yeah. have a lovely day and we'll see you on the college Project then.
2: Bye. Bye.